Welcome to Launch Left, a podcast, a label, a launch pad for left of center artists. My name is Rain Phoenix. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. Follow us on all socials. Welcome to the show, the legendary Mick Rock. Welcome to Launch Left, Mick Rock. You look great, Mick. That's you look healthy. this past year than I had in the, like, the previous 25 or whatever. You know. Are you still are you still meditating? And I did ten minute headstands every day. No, I do, and I've got a, a whole routine that I'm doing. Kundalini yoga. Mick, and, can I ask you? Can I ask you some very early days questions and test your memory? Oh no! Oh, those ones, those disgusting. No, 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 no. They're not. They're not. They're not super difficult because I know you have a good memory because we've had conversations about the early years of becoming an artist and photographer for you. But can you, for our listeners, contextualize a little bit how you came to photography um, and and what drew you to want to take a photo and become a photographer? It might be a little bit. I, can't, I don't know if I can work my answers around that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like you pin me to a wall. It's like, come on, Mick. Come on. But it was on an acid trip that I picked up a camera. As my mate, he, he had, uh, well, he was the one who turned me on to LSD too. But we didn't know how strong it was. So there's one thing being high. And there's, there's another thing being, I'm never going to get down, you know. I mean, psychedelics is what, people took drugs, these drugs out. But, but psychedelics... Is obviously what moved uh, for all of us, I think, you know. I was still at Cambridge. I had gone to study modern languages and literature, you know. I could, whatever. But it was a scholarship. And I could never in a million years have gone to Cambridge or Oxford. They definitely about the money. I mean, it's very respectable, but, but anyway... The, the key stroke, I photographed Sid, either because we have become friends, Sid Barrett. So he was, in a way, my introduction to, you know, that kind of out of, permanently out of body personality, probably very, an, an innate wisdom. I actually did the last interview with him, and it was for Rolling Stone, and it was about two-thirds of a page. And by then, because it was very important. And then that Madcap laughs, and then the back of the Barrett album, and, and barely, barely credited. But, you know, I didn't, wasn't, you can enforce it. If, I mean, you and I know that, but I would have to if you think how many years later this is. You did learn a couple of things, Mick, although it was looking like you knew fuck all other than how to take a picture. Yeah, so so let's start with your friend gave you acid and gave you a camera, and that was the first time you really took a photograph or, or realized, wow, right? Yeah, you started messing with what was a camera, and then you and then you worked with Sid Barrett was the first real artist that you photographed for his record Madcalf. If I want to get high, you know what I'll do? I go and get do me yoga, a bit of this and that, and, and then I go and get a massage and. And I do some heavy breathing, all very discreetly. <laughs> Sit in the middle of a room, 
Although it's a bit different nowadays. People are not not so inclined to think you're weird, you know. I know. I love that that's how you get high now. So who was the next, like, artist after Sid that you worked with, like, pretty religiously? Well, that religious thing never really applied. I just, it was always on the lamb, and it wasn't by design. Yes, David and Lou, the ones I took most pictures of, that was of a certain circumstance. A magical thing that had happened with that Transformer album, you know. It was like a pivotal album for a lot of people. I come back to the tale of raw power and transform. The place in London, it was just the King's Cross Cinema. But I knew when I, saw, when I and the thing was when it fell out of fucking focus. You went, oh my God, it's fucking art. But it wasn't before it fell out of focus. You see, it sounds a bit mad, Nick, but sometimes that's how it happens for me. I'm sure when you write, that's pretty... I mean, if you're writing on your own, you're sitting on a fucking moon. I mean, then out of it comes this great stuff. But the process itself can be very... can be exhilarating. And certainly if I'm... I nowadays really... You know, in the old days, like anywhere, anytime, I like to, as I say, choreograph a session. Have a thing going with the person I'm photographing. But that's the focus. Because out of the focus comes that other shit, which you shouldn't really try to examine, but the stuff that stays around. You go, why does that stay around and that not stay around? Are you talking about sort of the stream of consciousness of the creative that, that you know, when, when, the, when it just takes you and maybe something that you didn't expect turned out to be the cover of a record as a photographer, just like when but you didn't expect that. a song to come out? Yeah, the more than that? that out. Uh-huh. The David and Lou factor. You don't understand, they're all my friends. Then we get to talking about David Bowie. Not that I mind. He treated me very nicely. He really did. He had the respect, even when he was super. And, and I was, you know, dancing the light, fandango in some fucking gutter bit. After that, a great photo session. Then you had to go off and just let the poets so old, mate. Now, not the photographers so much. There weren't many photographers, that's true. I didn't like photographers particularly anyway. I liked the musicians. I had no thought about wanting to be a photographer. There was no... Then I discovered, as it, things moved on a bit, the old Hollywood stills. A friend of mine had this huge collection, John Cabal. And um, he... Uh, we did a swap. I did some portraits of him. And for it, I got this big print of Marlena Dietrich on the set of Shanghai Express. I mean, have you ever seen that movie? I think I have, and I'm a huge fan of Marlena Dietrich. I think she's oh, so special. She was unbelievable. I yeah. mean, transforming. I mean, it's, a trans, it's the Transformers that are really going to be interesting. Yeah. It would do seem a bit like they could be, you know, it could be an ambulance down the road to cart them off. But the clever ones, you know, keep fooling it. I know that you worked as a photographer on Rocky Horror Picture Show, which, as you know, is one of the biggest cult films, or certainly when I was it growing up, it was like... How did you get that gig? How did you get that gig? Yeah, well, it was always a bit... 
you know, not, I never had an agent. Really have, there weren't really agents for photographers, rock photographers. He was getting like 20 quid for that shot if he's lucky. And then he may end up, you know, I mean, it wasn't. Yes, I did some album covers, but they were, record companies were so cheap. Mm. They just wanted cover work, but, but there, in that lies a great irony, which I will tell to you. I'm happy, not the ironies of life. We didn't get paid. I mean, I suppose, I know that Richard Avedon did a couple in the 60s, and I'm sure he got a good whack. But that Queen cover, which I conceived, lit, um, you know, that lighting, which is slight, it's just a little bit more hooded than the Marlena Dietrich, because that you can see, but in this you can't really see it. I know uh, they'd always, they come to me through a guy called Ken. He actually did co-produce with David, um, Ziggy Stardust and Hunky Dory and Pinups. And I did these covers for Rory Gallagher in the meantime. Did you get properly paid for the Queen album that you conceived of, the one you were talking about? We were all improperly changed. And because we wanted to, I just wanted to live the lifestyle. I didn't know. Right. This is what you get. Okay, that's what I get. Right. It was a different world, and we were all so much younger, you know. I mean, you think working with Miley Cyrus recently, and she's still a young spirit, but she's actually 28 years old. None of us for that whole thing. Lou Reed might have been, Ian Hunter might have been, but the rest of us were mid or early 20s. Do you feel that that time in the late 60s, early 70s, and rock and roll, and perhaps, like you said, you, you all were um, experimenting with psychedelics, and that, that that in some way helped breed collaboration in that community, that, that people were like, you I know, artistic that, in, together? I think the psycho-physical magic, sometimes it happened in the city, all the knowledge I had spiritually and, and what, how to get into a euphoric state. Um, you know, that all came out of that. Yes, then I thought, oh, we'll do that cocktail, yoga and cocaine. And so, and that was going on a lot, but never yoga and heroin. Although you say, what's the fucking difference, man? Well, there is a difference, but never with the alcohol either. So I never became a belligerent personality. And because if you'd never have that experience in your psychophysical being, you don't know what it is, you know. But I could be a little pouncy when I was younger. Probably if I wasn't getting my own way, you know. But but not pouncy, not a big fuss. Not oh I should be, I should be that, you know, because I knew the answer was fuck you, me, right? This is the way it is. And I didn't care that much. It's just sometimes it was the money. I, you know, the general atmosphere of it. And then, of course, it's embraced so many things and so many great people. The 70s and 80s were debaucherous uh, for many and certainly in the artist community. Um, 
and you are no stranger to that. Many of your friends, uh, artist friends, performers, and probably behind the scenes as well, have passed away. You have lived uh, a very long life so far, and hopefully oh, much so longer. Fun. But my my question was really like, I know that at a certain point you made a choice to care for your physical self and and take care because of some medical. Was a dual thing going on with me because uh-huh. I started doing yoga. In 1970, the cocaine thing hit in later, but because I'd established it early enough in my nervous system, most of those days, I mean, it was fucking cocaine, because they're loony on you, know, you do like an hour and a half of yoga, snip up half of New York, and you get to very strange states. This sounds like what you're saying is sort of yoga and cocaine. There was a moment in your life, or maybe it was a long moment, where both lived, had a symbiotic relationship. I remember interviewing Steve Jones in, uh, a while back, and he also said uh, heroin and brown rice was his version of what you're saying, which is yoga and cocaine, right? That basically you bridged, you straddled the fence between you know, self-care and self-harm for many years. At what point did you say, you know what, I'm going to put self-harm on the shelf and I'm going to go for self-care only? What what year was that? That was not a gradual thing. That was, although it was building for a few days, that was when I had a quadruple bypass heart surgery in December. People have often said, don't you ever feel tempted? Let me tell you something. One thing I learned something about pain. Pain clears the brain out of indulgences. The thing about New York, it wasn't just the punk. It was you could get into the underground. You knew the right people. And I wanted to know everything. Now, I wouldn't do everything. You know, I do remember taking a very pretty young lady. I mean, she, I, wasn't, I was young too, uh, to uh, this, um, what was it? It was like a Friday night official orgy place. What was it? It was called. It was quite famous for a while. Well, a lot of people, you know, you, you fuck anyone who would accommodate you, that kind of thing, in that atmosphere. But I thought this, I never knew before, but I thought, well, I should at least bring whatever. And uh, so Lisa came with me. And uh, after a bit, I'm looking around going, I think I'd like you to touch my girlfriend. And I'm trying to your wife, you know, I can live without. So we didn't stay too long. But it, it was interesting. And, you know, I, I mean, we go to S&M Club. And... Uh, it was one on West 19th Street, I believe. I can't remember what it was called. And that was, um, well, I suppose if you were there, people expected you to play games. But I wasn't, I was a dabbler. I would dabble in a lot of things. And also, it's in my photography a little bit of it at a certain period. Like, you know, I've had periods and, um, um, different muses, male, female, whatever. But it wasn't, it's always more or less role. It's never been, well, I'm a game player. 
because I wouldn't have worked with me and I wasn't taking it that seriously. I was taking it seriously enough to want to deliver, but that, that's a different thing. But I also needed to make a living. And I had a wife then who, who's, I don't know if you've met her, Sheila Rock. She's, uh, she became a photographer. She's like very, anyway, she's a very nice person. Uh, but, Can I ask what year you had triple bypass and 1996? Wow. So that's really when everything, you know, the 70s and 80s and 90s and any kind of mucky muck closed up, right? And you took care, you started to go self care first. You got better. You had triple bypass surgery. You got. I'm sorry. You had quadruple bypass surgery. And then you decided, I'm going to get high off Kundalini yoga. Or that's, or over time, you realized that was your new drug of choice. Is that right? It always happens incrementally. Right. I project. You know, sometimes you you get what you project. So in my maturity, I'm like, no, you project all that positive stuff. So would you change anything at all? Uh, from your life? No, what I feel, and it's linked to that fucking name, which, and I, ha- and I have two birth certificates. And I, that's the whole story unto itself. But David oh. Rock was my adoptive father, so he was my father. Um, but um, it was, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't, there was no money in the family. I mean, they, worked hard to be respectable. But they'd also been through the war. That was, my mother, this is a, I mean, it's a great story. And sometimes it's, I think of that, you know, because she died maybe three or four years ago. She was in her 90s. One thing I realized is my blood father, David died at 70. My blood father died at 98, and my mother, and she died at 95. And that's right. another thing the doctor said to me. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you're born, money, no money, genetics, that basic shit. Mm-hmm. Genetics will keep, you, will keep you alive. I think that for all the lunacy I went through, and I was accused of being self-destructive, I never thought I was going to never, but I didn't dabble around with fucking heroin. But then, I mean, all my knowledges have come in from all different angles. It's not like you know, going to the mountain top and just think one thought. Although that's there's that part of me that would love to do that, not literally to the mountain top because I can't deal with the cold very well. So, of all the artists that you've worked with, David Bowie, Queen, Lou Reed, I'm sure you can name Sid Barrett, um, I'm sure you can name many more, was there one in particular that you felt like your um, friendship and relationship, there was a like an, a, a real collaborative feeling and one that you favored, or were all of them wonderful experiences in your Well, it's like to say all of them, so over all. I did have a particular relationship with Lou Reed and that was grounded. It was grounded in Bowie because he made the introduction. And trans- I mean, the way things happen, it's not, I'm going to plan it. You know, if you fucking plan it, man, you're going to fuck it up. You need to have 
it's a bit like being a cook at times. You get all the ingredients there. Mm. And then you see what happens. Yeah. I love them yeah. all. You could have been in Paris in the 1930s, okay. you know. You I love that you say that because uh, I have actually, Paris is one of my favorite cities, and I'm sure I had a past life there in the 30s or 20s. I literally yeah, think too. that. Well, yeah. We might have even been to the same parties, darling. Oh, for sure. We were born on the same day. I'm, I'm sure there yeah, was some oh, That's when God get a bit crowded in there. We get rid of these two, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know what I did at I did, what I was invited to be part of with the Deepak Chopra thing. Yeah. And I got into talking about breathing. And I also talked about him taking LSD. And then, of course, he was a mate of George Harrison, so he had no option. Right. So, yeah. But George was, George was, of all the Beatles, a quiet one. But he was, um, he was certainly the most spiritual. Yeah. And he, uh, and in many ways, the most adventurous. Yes, Paul and John developed too in their different ways. But George, but he had... And uh, Paul, Paul was talking. He was like the sex guy of the Beatles. Well, I mean, he was what he was, but he were, there was nothing wrong with that. Did you meet and hang out with the Beatles much? I worked with Paul. You know, Paul was, you could see, he was, he was an old Beatles, but he was a tough guy. He is the one bona fide billionaire to come out of the music. I suppose it should be a Beatles. You were in school for literature. Have you considered writing a memoir? No, Have you no, done? They, even the cash waved in front of me. In my case, my pictures speak louder than my words. I think it had a physical thing too. I didn't want to sit in front of a typewriter or pad all day. Yeah, yeah. I could go out and be, you know, Lala Brooks or somebody just to... um, And that what got into me after a while with the photography was the process. Because then I was learning more about yoga. So that was integrated into it too. But what I, somebody asked me, said, were you absolutely dotty about photography? I said, no. I was interested in altered states. In regard to people not of your generation, I think that you're launching an artist today on the show. Is that right? Ah, Christopher Griatti. I'll tell you, he and I, we were introduced... I did an interview with him, barely knowing anything about him. We had a good chat. And I said, well, next time you come to North, let me know. It won't be a whole, but I'll, I'll come to that hotel and take a few pictures. And uh, I did. He looks the part. Should we bring him on right now? Yeah, I think he's yeah. waiting. Let's bring him on. Christopher Griotti. Thanks for coming on the show, by the way. So we, we had a little process <laughs> um, with the photography. It was not what I would call a definitive session. But the fact of doing it, you know, you get to know somebody in there. I thought, oh, she's a good-looking girl. I don't want to bring somebody ugly on, you know? Had to be somebody cute. (laughs) (laughs) A lady or a guy or whatever. I have to tell you, this motherfucker, because we did that interview, and then we were chatting afterwards, talking about the guitar, and then suddenly... He just went off on a blister that was fucking unbelievable. I'll tell you, I thought, oh, this guy's 
not just to give us a kiss, boy. He's got it in his fucking nervous system. He's fucked, but nevertheless, he's an artiste. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but this guitar, that's what made Pop Town said. You get to New York and do some pictures, go, fucking guitarist. I mean, if that's all you really had to do to justify your existence. <laughs> you want to get involved with the songwriting. You want to get involved with the production. You, yeah, I understand completely. <laughs> no, you have you have a huge talent. I thought, well, maybe this would help a little bit if it would help. And um, and he and he's good looking, so that's all right. <laughs> yeah. uh, wow, spoken like a true rock photographer. <laughs> I, I appreciate it, Mick. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's been really cool hanging out with you. And, uh, you know, it, we, we did, as, as Mick was saying, we did do the photo shoot recently. And it was just like such a unique experience. Just really the way that he really attacks, he really attacks the subject. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I do back off sometimes. Oh, no, no, no. But I mean, like. Not a one trick pony, no. No, but it, it's uh, it's it was it was very like the whole time we would just be talking and and uh, and and grooving together and and yes. out of nowhere all of a sudden he just came into the kill and and got like uh, fifty photos at once and we were just like be like whoa 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 what's that who's this what's that but the the you know the the intensity the resulting images it's it was really um, cool working with someone in that way because wow. I I have a similar. I have a similar chaotic energy in the studio, you know, and might, anyone might tell you that. So I, I heard a rumor that Chris is a multi-instrumentalist and a producer. Is that true, Chris? That is true. Yeah, I got, um, I started playing guitar, as Mick may have mentioned, but um, I'm really, I, I play bass on everything I work on. I play synths on most everything I work on. I usually come up with the drum parts. You know, I, I'm really obsessed with, um, I don't know, the, and the first the first artist that got me into that was like listening to every instrument in like early Led Zeppelin recordings. It's just like everybody was playing such good parts and it just kind of got me in tune with um, the different facets of song creation uh, from like early in, in my life. And I just, I don't know, I just became obsessed with it. Actually, The Ocean, the song by Led Zeppelin, has that breakdown, the acapella breakdown in the middle of it. The, na, 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 na. And that was the first thing on my, uh, in GarageBand, um, where I was like, I, I have to sing this and, and, and harmonize with myself. And um, The Ocean was the first song at, at, in my computer where I, I harmonized with myself. And I was like, whoa, I love hearing that sound. I got to do this more often. And I just started when I was a teenager recording. Yeah. How old were you when you found music and when you realized you were going to actually learn it and, or try and attempt it? My dad just bought me a guitar for Christmas and they were like, you should do guitar lessons. And basically I was, I was just bad at everything else, sports and skateboarding and other interests that I attempted to, you know, turn into like the main hobby. And with guitar, I just, you know, I got Twinkle Twinkle Little Star within the first month, and I was just like, oh, this is the one. And, you know, just I just, throughout my teen year, they just like, you know, just learned as many songs as I could and absorbed as many different people's styles and I'm trying to, you know, continue 
blending those in a unique way with every song that I make now. Yeah, now you produce a lot of artists of note, which is really, yeah, really impressive. And that seems to be what you're focusing on mostly now. Is that right? Ever since I moved to L.A. in about two and a half years ago, it's just been pretty nonstop. For the past month, I actually haven't taken a day off. Wow. (laughs) So thank you for doing this, because you must be whacked to the girls. I'm a bit tired, but it's all good. <laughs> we're, we're vibrating. A nice cup of coffee afterwards, all right? Don't worry. Mick, you're going to introduce Chris's song, but is there anything else you'd like to share before that? Well, uh, I, I'm really excited to be working on a lot of these new projects. I've got a lot of cool stuff. Um, once again, in the pipeline with Young Bud and Poppy, the new Poppy music is very shreddy. Um, as was the, you know, Grammy nominated, uh, I disagree album. Uh, I'm solo producing an album for this band called Palais Royale right now, which will be the first full album that I'm producing by myself. So very excited about that Palais Royale. We did a song the other day that's six minutes long and everyone in their team is calling it their Bohemian Rhapsody. So obviously, you know, there's a gigantic guitar solo at the end of it. Um, and I would, yeah, I mean, mainly, mainly that kind of situation. Um, I've been writing a lot of new songs of my own, um, but just with all the chaos of all the projects that I'm involved in right now, I haven't really been able to uh, formulate the project, the the way that I would like to present my music that I've been writing. But I do have it, and it is going to come soon. I played Mick. I played you a song in the uh, in the hotel. You were reading the, the re, reading the lyrics as well, and you seemed you seemed pretty moved by it. So I, I think, still remember the song, but I do remember being moved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if if the world the world can know that I have songs of my own that are moving the legendary Mick Rock in the Roxy Hotel in New York today, I wanted to share um, the song "Panic Attack" that I made with uh, my friend Nadia. Tolikonikova from Pussy Riot. Um, And it's, uh, yeah, it features my friend Asher Bank on live drums, analog. And uh, I played all (laughs) the guitar and bass and the little keyboard ding-a-lings. It's got a guitar solo in it as well. So you you get that, you get the flavor. And uh, this this song actually is um, making a lot of news right now because the music video was directed by my good friend, Asid J. Malik, who is a very, very talented uh, tech guru um, slash legend, all around legend genius. Uh, he has an app called Jadu. He's been making holograms of artists, uh, myself, Nadia, Poppy, um, and others included, Lil Nas X. And um, with uh, the song, he made this insane uh, music video for Panic Attack that's about to play. And it is being sold right now as a four-part NFT series. And the mm-hmm. first three parts sold for over almost 150 Ethereum, which is the equivalent of like wow. $250,000. My new friend, Mr. Christopher Griatti, produced Pussy Lion. And it's called what? What is it called? Thunder and Lightning. No. Panic panic attack, my friend. <laughs> Thunder and Lightning, Panic Attack. Yes. Yeah. And uh, 
I think it's, I think it's something special. What can I tell you? He's a punk, this guy, that boy. Like, no, he trickles talent. I like that. Maybe a fucking lick in there with the camera. Yeah. Awesome. And Mick, do you mind just saying hello? I'm Mick Rock. So I have that too. Hello. Yes, I am Mick Rock. I am from London, but I'm not really anymore. I've lived, I've lived in New York or around New York for over 30 years. So. But I am still an Englishman in many ways. And Clearly. Although my blood father was American anyway. So I got this a lot of them. Both my wives have been American. More girlfriends from America, even in London. Yeah, I like them American girls, you know? More <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thank yes, you sorry. both. Sorry, no, I was supposed to be doing something very sensible. Is that good enough? Yeah, we could probably edit that together. If you want, you can just, you can do another, where you say, hi, I'm Mick Rock, and the artist I want to launch is Chris Griotti, and then we'll paste everything else together. Okay, yeah. Well, the artist, I, I launched straight out of the fucking window, man. Are you all right? <laughs> all right? Can't launch a boy like that every day. Look at it. Anyway, I mean, he is amazingly talented. And I, and that's why. And he's pleasant. He's got the charm down. Charm, strong charm, but also a thoughtful personality when it comes to explaining his art. But what hit me was probably was that fucking guitar player because I thought it's whatever. <laughs> oh, I have to fall back on being a guitar player. Well, I think I'll probably get by. But the fact you do all this other stuff, I think lock him away immediately. All right? Like, he looks good. Let's see, he looks pretty good, but he's just backstage. That doesn't really apply to you. Thank you for coming on Launch Left. Mick, I love you, my birthday twin, and I can't wait to see you in person. Chris, the pleasure to meet you is all mine. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you, Mick. Mick. God bless. Pleasure pleasure to see you, Mr. Rock. Until next time. Yes, Yes, there will be a next time, I'm sure.
Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields. 